This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books from Choir Publishing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, welcome to Snarky Faith, the perfect place if you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity. And if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this, then welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Otherwise, you have been warned. Well, it's been a hot minute since we've talked, folks, and I'll explain a lot of why that has happened later in the show. But I do want to begin by giving a shout out to the fact that Snarky Faith is now part of Choircast. Yes, Choircast, with other shows such as the Heretic Happy Hour, Apostates Anonymous, the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Ideas Digest, the New Evangelicals, This Is Not Church, and Wild Olive. Plus, new ones coming soon. And I'm excited to see what happens with this new partnership. So with Snarky Faith being back right here in the midst of Lent, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to you because for those of you out there that said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give up swearing, sarcasm, snark for Lent. Sorry to tell you, if you're listening right now, you're absolutely fucked. And by the fact that I said fucked without a sensor beep tells you, Yes, now we are on Strictly Podcast, off the radio, because I really wanted a show where I wasn't necessarily stuck into an hour format. I wanted to be able to communicate in a way to you guys that made sense, regardless of how long or how short it is. So Snarky Faith is back. We are bringing new stuff to you, and I am absolutely excited about it. I've got to tell you, it's it's been a it's been a difficult past few weeks for me, like mentally and emotionally. And I just want to say, give a little shout out, give a little thanks, give a little love to three people that have just kind of reached out to make sure, you know, hey, Stuart, are you okay? How's things going? What's going on, buddy? Yes, yes. So I just want to say thank you to my sister from an, another mister. You know who you are. Thank you to Carl and thank you to Susan. 
because I'll say this has been a weird time. And, and some of it is the weird politics of what's happening and, and kind of observing the way the world is shaping. And, and, and if ever there was a time for you to ask the question to yourself, hey, hey, does my vote matter? Does my activism matter? Does my engagement matter? Then I give you this. One of the slimiest little slugs that continues to call himself pastor of First Baptist Dallas. Yes, Robert Jeffress. We haven't heard a lot from this little guy lately, but just go ahead and listen to him responding about why, you know, Christian nationalism is a good thing, a biblical thing, and it's a thing that we need to embrace. I mean, that in itself is enough to make you sick and say, oh, God, I got to get off my ass and go vote like yesterday. We always put our love for God above everything, even allegiance to our country. But that's not what they're really talking about. Listen carefully. They say they are opposed to people who say America was founded as a Christian nation, Americans who believe not only in the spiritual heritage of our nation, but believe that we ought to use elections to help return our country to its Christian foundation. If that's Christian nationalism, count me in, because that's what we have to do. And what's so hypocritical about this, Tim, is the left don't mind at all imposing their values on our country through the election process. Uh, they don't mind uh, forcing their pro-abortion, pro-transgender, pro-open uh, borders policy upon our nation, but they object when conservative Christians try to impose their values on society at large. It's complete hypocrisy. Oh, it is complete hypocrisy. It is beautiful hypocrisy because what are we talking about here? Oh, oh, Christians trying to use their faith to push their political persuasion onto other people. I don't hear liberals there using Jesus and the apocalypse and the end times and hell and all of this. No, no, no. But what Jeffress is doing here is trying to say that, you know, we're founded as a Christian nation and it is our job to impose our Christian values upon you. Upon you! Legislatively and legally speaking. Because when Jesus talked about spreading his gospel of love of others, love of the enemy, love of those that aren't like us, love of everybody, it was really always about political power, right? Come on. That's what it was all about because this is totally, totally spiritually scrumptedly umptious and totally not hypocritical at all. But it is. It is. It is. And this is the show that you're going to get today. Yes, we're going to be talking through a lot of this, and we're going to be talking through a lot of just the fog that has been in my brain that I have not been able to get out of, that I feel like a lot of us are feeling right now. We're going to talk a lot about what matters and how to look forward, what to see, how to experience what is happening right now in reality and not check out from it. That is what we are going to be working through today. Because I think we are living in a very difficult times when it comes to being able to have like contemplative health, like like mental health, like self-health, all these kind of issues of health, but also at the same time, be able to balance these and 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 the ability for us to be able to consume news and pay attention to what's going on in the world because it is a recipe 
for insanity and depression. So we want to talk about how to take care of yourself. How can we stay sane in the midst of the insanity? Now, in order for us to do that, you know, we've got to cross through a lot of crazy to get to the promised land of where we want to go this hour. So what I'm going to do, since Jeffress already ticked me off, I think it's time to bring you into our news of the week. In the news! So much like Robert Jeffress in the news, we have other conservative mouthpieces within the faith going out and telling you exactly how to think and exactly how to vote. Like this, 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 Al Mohler, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary president. And his thoughts on elections and sin and faithfulness. Every single election matters. But every single election is followed by the next one. And faithfulness now is absolutely necessary. And frankly, just given the temporality of life, we've got to give primary attention to faithfulness right now in the United States means votes matter. But wait a second, Stuart. You said he was saying something that doesn't make any sense. Votes matter. I get that. Oh, wait, other Stuart. Just wait. The tune will change in three, two, one. And we have a responsibility to make certain that Christians understand the stewardship of the vote, which means the discipleship of the vote, which means the urgency of the vote, the treasure of the vote. And they need to understand that insofar as they do not vote or they vote wrongly, they are unfaithful. Oh, sweet Jesus. So God and our salvation and how the Lord looks at me, God really will judge me. Upon my vote, you begin to see these strong-arm techniques employed by Christian leaders. Because really what this is, this is manipulation. This is manipulation. And this is not Christianity. Christianity tells you to think for yourself, to figure stuff out on your own. Christianity's not about controlling and not about power, but wait a second, Stuart, huh? How do we even listen to news as Christians these days? Like, how do we even know where's the truth? I don't know. Do you know? Maybe. Who knows? Oh, you know who knows? Oh, the North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. He's got the answers to everything. Well, really the answers to how do we get our news? How do we get our truth? Pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's just downright stupid. It's that stupid and simple, which probably describes Mark Robinson to a T. You have all the truth in the world, in the Bible, on your coffee table, in your hands, in your car, in your cell phone. You got all the truth you need. In that Bible, why are you looking at WRAL? Why are you looking at ABC and CBS? You don't need those entities. You don't need any of those things. You don't need the, you don't need WRAL and ABC and NBC and CBS to be able to tell you the weather. Your Bible tells you the weather, right? Right? You don't need all those things to be able to tell you about the news. 
Because your Bible tells you about the news. Actually, wait, I am sorry. I did forget that the Bible does tell us that everything that we need to know on a daily basis, it gives us, I mean, it gives us the our lucky numbers for the day for Powerball. Uh, it gives us all the classifieds. I mean, we just don't need anything. We just need to keep reading the Bible because, you know, I want to know what's going on with the children of Israel and what the weather's like when they're walking through the desert because, you know, yeah, all you need's the Bible. But hold on, wait. What about all these other bits of Christian news that are rising up from the prophets and the pastors? How are we going to know about that news? It's probably also in the Bible, but again, if you didn't hear this, you should really hear this right now, because this isn't in the Bible, but this is Andrew Womack talking about something that he's pretty sure that happened, but we're pretty sure did not happen. But, you know, maybe it's in the Bible. A friend of mine in Illinois actually knows a teacher that comes to uh, school as a furry and wears ears and a tail and uses a litter box at the front of the classroom to relieve himself. Oh my goodness. So let's just kind of run with this, right? Let's just run with this anecdotal knowledge that a friend of a friend told him that this is absolutely 100% true, that there is a teacher that's a furry that has a litter box in the front of the classroom and the teacher apparently in all the the teacher's furry regalia is so committed to teaching that the teacher can't even leave the room. The teacher must relieve themselves in a litter box in front of all of the children. This, this sounds like it checks out. This probably, probably makes it. This is actually what happens when you finally realize that you have all the truth in the world, in the Bible. Yep, people, journalism's dead. And there's apparently teachers taking dumps in class, dressed as a furry. Yeah, let's, I think, I think that the answer for this is we really don't need news anymore, 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 because all of this totally sounds reasonable and totally checks out. And if by this point in the show, you are not sopping up your breadsticks in the marinara of my sarcasm, you've probably listened to the wrong show. In the past, we'll have people be like, what? What's happening? It's so, you know, snarky, sarcastic. Yeah, that's kind of what we do here. So if you thought that was bad, it's only going to get worse. When we descend into, into where, Stuart? Oh, it's the choicest cuts of Christian nuts. It's the best of the worst in Christianity. That's right. It's time for the Christian crazy of the week you thought we were crazy before but it's only gonna get worse enjoy if loving the lord is wrong i don't want to be right lord have mercy the lord is my shepherd he know what i want Yes, hopping into the Christian crazy. Let's just go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off and get to the cringiest, grossest, weirdest part of all of this. When I say weird, gross, cringy, and Christianity, you may say, oh, Stuart, you can't be talking about Catholic priests molesting little altar boys, or maybe you're going to be talking about, you know, evangelical youth pastors molesting 
children in the youth group. No, no, no. This is a whole new type of molestation that's happening within the church. And no, I'm also not talking about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife and the pool boy. Nope, nope. You'd be warm if you were talking about inanimate objects and Hank Kuhneman. So, you know, let me just kind of let Hank do his hanky-panky thing. And if you know Hank Kuhneman, you know Hank loves to touch him some flags. Now, hold on, hold on a second. Just want you to understand here that I'm saying flags. I want to pronounce really easily. He likes to molest flags. So, of course, this totally makes sense in the beginning of a Sunday morning service at church. There you Notice go. Notice the spirit of dishonor. They said, oh, he's molesting the flag and all the little trolls. Yeah, you dishonorable people that need to go move to Easter Island. <laughs> Recusing this man of molesting a flag. But yet you don't care if little kids get molested with perverted <laughs> curriculums in school. You absolute dishonorable troll. You mess of a human being. I think I'll just kiss it again, just so you can write a new article. Ready? Watch this. I'm hugging it and petting it. Oh. So what you may not be able to fully pick out of all of the congregational cheering is a grown man standing on stage and groping and kissing an American flag in the middle of a church service because reasons? Because nothing makes sense anymore whatsoever. <laughs> that's, I, I think that's really where I've come to this place. Nothing makes sense anymore, and everything is crazy. I mean, what happens if Hank isn't using protection when he's kind of getting it on with the flag? I mean, are we going to have a little scandal eventually where Hank's going to be like, all right, American flag, I'm going to have to... Tell you to go get an abortion. I'm going to pay for it. You know, Herschel Walker style in a greeting card. Come on, American flag. You know, I loved you. You know, I loved you. Just get out of here. Just get out of here. Actually, that kind of does sound like a lot of successful ministries out there. So, you know, kind of checks out. Oh, it checks out so much. Let's just have like a thought experiment really quick. I wonder if Ted Hagert got the whole idea about flags wrong and his issues. Hmm. Hold a second, hold a second. This just occurred to me. Could this be true? All of these conservative evangelical hate mongers that used to say God hates something, maybe it was actually God hates flags because there's such horny temptations for pastors. Ha ha ha, ha ha ha. Well, I'm pretty sure that's true because you have all the truth in the world and the Bible. Now, I know you may be feeling up until this point. I have been very snarky. I've been very dismissive. I have been very sarcastic. And you would be right. But I want to actually enter into a phase here in the Christian crazy where we we talk about personal issues, like personal issues of stuff that is a little delicate to talk about on the Sunday morning. It's like a little delicate for pastors to be able to talk about. But I do think 
this is a space. I feel like this is a safe space where we can really delve into this issue. I mean, because oftentimes, here's how I kind of feel about this. Like, oftentimes, when you have a God that you follow, and that God gets to a stage in his life where that God is a little older, maybe those God's powers don't, you know, get up like they used to, if you know what I mean. Like, like don't necessarily rise to the occasion. You know what I'm saying here, right? Right? You know, the, the whole idea of raising an Ebenezer that was in the past no longer does that. I'm actually just talking about erectile dysfunction in your God. Because this is an issue that I've noticed, and I feel like over the time, I mean, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, all this kind of stuff. But, but let's go ahead and look at this, because I think this is a trend that we're noticing here. Forget global warming. Forget all of that, right? We need to talk about the fact that God somehow can't get it up anymore. You know, kind of where, like, is now more of a, Womp, womp. Now, some of you may feel shocked and horrified by what I'm saying. Stuart, Stuart, how dare you? How dare you enter into this sacrilegious conversation? So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Because I think I need to do a deep dive into what's going on with God. Because what we're hearing from his prophetic mouthpieces sounds a little sad. Case in point one, Robin Bullock and God's response to Mar-a-Lago. And when they raided Mar-a-Lago, God didn't like that, Steve. That didn't set well in heaven. It didn't set well at all when they did that. You know, the scripture says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Well, they touched his anointing when they did that. Which brings up a very good point here. When it comes to touching anointing, consent is always the key. You want to make sure that if you're going to touch the anointing, the anointed is like, yeah, I'm good with it. Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it, or don't touch it. You know, that's kind of how God's anointing goes there. That's exactly how it goes. But I don't know. Does God seem like a little lazy here? Like, you know, Steve, God didn't like it. God wasn't happy at all. God wanted to throw some lightning down, but, you know, didn't have the thunder for it. I wonder if there's anything we could do for God. Viagra, talk to your doctor. See if America's most prescribed ED treatment is right for you. Maybe that's the answer, but I'm also a little bit worried also about God's issues with... How do I put this delicately? Grammar? Like, has anyone noticed that God kind of has a consistent, like, grammar syntax in how God speaks through these prophets? I don't know. I'm a little worried about God. Because it's like either God kind of talks like a caveman or somehow, like, the apex of God's ability to communicate through language peaked around the time of the King James Bible. So either way, like, I just feel like God's somewhere between having a problem getting it up, having a problem with grammar, or, you know, language things. I don't know, Dutch sheets? 
Dutch, what did God tell you? The love I have for this nation was put there by God. And here's what he said to me. For what I'm going to do in this hour in the nations of the earth, the harvest that I am going to reap, I must have this nation. And you're going to help me get her back. That's what he said to me. Like, how has it that God has somehow not, like, advanced in language whatsoever? Like, we figure this, right? Like, is it not, like, has God not progressed at all for, like, speaking in such, like, I don't know, Bronze Age terms? I must have this nation. I need it. I'm hungry. So, like, the God via Dutch sheets is essentially just a jilted cookie monster? I don't know, but you know it's not going to get any better when we go to Kit Christmas. Let's talk more about God's grammar. In this hour, saith God, this judgment that's going to begin to take place, then the angel of death will be released to the nations, and they will begin to walk into government houses. They will begin to walk into secret places. They will begin to walk into the dens of demons, and the hand of God will be released, saith the Lord. So you know when he says, saith the Lord, what does that mean? It means he's speaking as the mouthpiece of God because God somehow doesn't have any time to take <gasps> breaths because what he is talking about <gasps> is the way that things must move. <gasps> yeah, who, like, what is this? Like, what is happening here? What is wrong with God if this is the God that is speaking through Kent Christmas? It really, again... Kind of feels like God should have also created blowholes for humans as they speak, just so, you know, we can get the mouthpiece thing down just right when we're serving your messages. You know, it also seems like, just seems like God is a little narcissistic man in this point. And if that was the issue, here's how we fix God. Get medical help right away. Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use and a free 30-tablet trial. Oh, so good to know that God's fixable because essentially democracy in America is absolutely fucked. You see, this is the problem with modern-day Christendom. It's all of this, this flourish, this flash, this BS that sells itself like politically and otherwise on stage, but it doesn't really have anything to do with reaching out and helping those that are in suffering. And if you think we're going to fix all of that today on the show, you may be right, but we're not there just yet. Because I also want to give you one last little bit. You have all the truth in the world, in the Bible. There, that was it. That's it. The absolute rock bottom dumbass answer to everything Christianity has to throw at you. There's nothing more you need to know because that's the answer that fixes everything. But does it? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just a guy with the microphone. I guess it's about time for us to get to something a little substantial in this time of Lent as we march towards Easter and as I kind of step into this new iteration of Snarky Faith, I want to begin with a bit of honesty. So for the past couple months, 
I have struggled with the state of the world. I've struggled with the idea of <laughs> being able to have a right to have a platform, uh, to being able to be here and not continue just to add to more noise. Like I've been roiled in this like existentialism and self-doubt because I do feel like this. I feel like the world is filled with so much polarizing noise, so much noise in the world today. And each side is projecting absolute certainty. And I'm in a place where I think a lot of this is messed up, but at the same time, I'm processing. And I'm not one that's going to be pushing out absolute certainty. So I, it really led me to this place where I was struggling in myself saying, does my voice matter? Is my voice needed? Is it just more of more? And I didn't want it to be that way. I mean, I've, I've felt insufficient while screaming against the void. I've doubted the show. I've doubted my voice under such overwhelming tornadoes of insanity and posturing twaddle that just is everywhere. And it's hard to continue to push back against the machine. I've doubted myself and my role in helping to push against the tide. Yet times was so much crazy, things seem to be insurmountable. I often find myself feeling like, like doing the right thing and pushing against what's happening can feel like a lost cause. And like I said before, I did not want to add more noise to noise. Though it's taken me some time to figure out that I was wrong. It's taken me time and many conversations in therapy and with good friends to see that there is there's a good fight and it's worth fighting for. And what I've had to realize within myself is that it's not for me to keep the score, but only for me to do the next good and right thing. Like in this time, I've, I've, I've noted that doubt is a very, very powerful drug. One that can steal vision and hope for a better tomorrow. Like in this time, I've realized that giving into hopelessness, it lets them win. And it gives them what they want. But I've realized that silence is not an option. And that inaction is complicity. And I don't want to be any part of this crazy train. Hell, I want to nuke it. Metaphorically speaking, metaphorically speaking. But I want to nuke it because it's toxic and it's hurting so many people. And with that in mind, I want to begin our, our conversation, this snarky faith with, well, in a bit of an odd place. So I'm going to hearken us back a couple weeks back to the Oscars. And let's talk about the biblical story of Jonah. Because I bet you didn't see that coming. So this quote comes from an article from Alyssa Wilkerson uh, from Vox.com. And it was an article where she was writing about the movie The Whale, the stars Brendan Fraser. So we'll start with her quote. So it begins like this. She's talking about the story. 
So this suggests that the whale of the title may also have something to do with the story of Jonah in the Bible, who, in a famous Sunday school story, ended up in the belly of one. After God asked him to preach to a city of wicked people, Nineveh, he ran rather than minister to them, only to find himself inside a giant creature. When he escaped, yielded, and finally made his way to Nineveh, he discovered that the people listened and repented. Infuriated, he yelled at God for showing mercy. God more or less told him to shut up and let God decide who is saved. It was none of his business. His job is to live. And in, and in an enigmatic ending, I think the whale suggests the same. We try to save one another, and we fail. Because we cannot help but fail. Every one of us fails. But something in the world is still powered on the energy of love that we try to have. And at the end, that might be what matters most. End quote. I love this because it is a reminder of what matters most. And so that leads me to talk about vulnerability today and its latent power. Brene Brown defines vulnerability as this, faith minus vulnerability equals extremism. So let that sink in for a moment. Like, doesn't that perfectly surmise where we find ourselves today dealing with extremism? So that we have faith without vulnerability, it leads us to extremism. So basically, what you believe requires faith because it involves a level of uncertainty. Take away vulnerability and, quote, faith, extremism is exercise in thoughts and deeds and speech. And in this place, certainty is a poison to faith. But we all must also remember that faith requires hope. It also requires embracing shame. And I found that I felt insufficient that my voice would only add more noise to an already noisy situation. I ultimately felt like I wasn't enough to add to the situation. I wasn't part of the solution. And for a time period, that made me feel almost mute. So here's a question I'm pondering right now, and I don't necessarily have an answer. But I think it speaks to the times we're in right now. So here's my question. If Americans have been losing their religion for years, then why the doubling down on religious cultural issues? Like, think of this. Like, we've seen this. We've seen this in the statistics over and over and over. The people are leaving organized religion in droves. But yet, within culture, within politics, within religion, we're seeing those that are still part of the Titanic <laughs> double down on the religious cultural issues. Now, I may not have an answer, but I do have a take. 
And my take is this, is when we talk about Christianity, it's not about faith anymore. It's not about Jesus at all, because that ship has long sailed. And here's why I say that. Because when you look at modern-day Christendom, everything seems to be about fear of the other or selfishness and wanting personal preference. And also fear of loss, loss of the old ways, whatever those old ways are. And those are some, but I also think that pride plays a role in this as well. That desire to be right, even in the face of reality. And it's a terrible way of saying that they've embraced the worst aspect of religion. Escapism. Escapism. The idea that reality isn't real. But they're still right in that there's an unseen or unknown thing that out there that makes them feel correct. But that's not actually faith at all. That's never what faith was about. That, that thing that they're doing, denying reality, that is madness. And it's nothing short of insanity fueled by the likes of people like David Koresh and before him. Hell, Koresh is no different than the modern-day prophets and pastors from the Christian crazy, whether it be Jim Baker, Lance Wallenau, Kent Christmas, or any of those loonies. They are not dealing with reality. And they're selling something that has nothing to do with Christ. So we have to remember that that kind of insanity, that kind of thought process where you are disconnected from reality, but still wanting to prove your own rightness in the face of reality, that kind of insanity, that kind of insanity always leads to violence. Which if you look across the American landscape today, we have that kind of insanity in spades. But returning to Brene Brown, she has an alternate equation that says this, faith plus vulnerability equals extravagant love. Faith plus vulnerability equals extravagant love. Now, I have a microphone and a platform, but I don't have all the answers besides <laughs> enduring and pushing towards what is good, what is loving, and what is kind. To continue to protect the vulnerable and the marginalized, to stay the course, because that's what Jesus taught. Christianity may preach certainty, but Jesus never did. And if religion has become only about what we're against, it is absolutely not worth following. Because when everything is about being anti-something and human decency has left the station, that is a recipe for disaster. So what do we do? How do we move forward if we don't have all the answers? I just have to continue to dip back to the well of the things that I know. We have to continue to call out positions of power. We have to continue to defend the underdog. 
Continue to show grace and love extravagantly. And remember that the route towards a solution won't be fixed by politicians or any other asshats in a pulpit. It's about extravagant love and personal sacrifice. If we miss that, Lent and Easter are all bullshit pageantry and self-serving religious masturbation. It may put up a good show. It may feel good. But it's going to leave you alone and with a mess on your hands. Gross. But I want to lean on the words of Jesus. When Christ said this in John 14, 15, and it is written, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus also said, I will give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must love one another, John 13, 34. The Apostle Paul, who can be dodgy <laughs> in his amount of grace, the Apostle Paul even goes on to tell us that, quote, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, from Romans 13, 10. So furthermore, let's go ahead and hammer this home. I mentioned the story of Jonah at the beginning. But I think we need to revisit it for a moment because I think it's something that we have to return to to see where we're at today. So, hey, boys and girls, pull up those carpet squares. Let's do a brief Sunday school lesson before we leave. So let's talk about Jonah. I'm going to tell you the story of Jonah again in a way that really isn't about a whale. It's really about a person who didn't want to love and was bigoted towards others who are not like them. So the story of Jonah from the Bible highlights the themes of human intolerance and God's love for all mankind. Jonah, a prophet of Israel, was instructed by God to go to a city of Nineveh and warn its inhabitants of their impending doom to the, due to their wicked ways. However, Jonah disliked the people of Nineveh and didn't want to see them repent and be saved. So he attempted to flee from God's command by boarding a ship and sailing in the opposite direction. <laughs> Sounds a little like modern-day Christendom, but I'll continue. A great storm arose, endangering the ship and its crew. Jonah, realizing that the storm was a result of his obedience, asked the sailors to throw him overboard to save themselves. They reluctantly compiled, and Jonah was swallowed by a large fish. Inside the fish for three days and nights, Jonah prayed and prayed for deliverance and acknowledged God's sovereignty. God commanded the fish to release Jonah, who then proceeded to Nineveh as instructed. He warned the people of their city that they would be destroyed in 40 days. The Ninevites surprisingly believed Jonah's message and repented of their evil ways. God, seeing their genuine change of heart, decided to spare the city. Jonah, however, was displeased by God's mercy and became angry. He had hoped that the Ninevites would face punishment. And as he was intolerant of them, God used this situation to teach Jonah a lesson about his love for all mankind. He caused a plant to grow, providing Jonah with shade, and then suddenly caused it to wither. Jonah lamented the loss of a plant, and God used this to illustrate that if Jonah could care for a mere plant, how much more should God care for the people of Nineveh, who were also his creation? 
So there you have it, folks. Old and New Testament, basically calling out most of modern Christendom for being unloving assholes. As it was then, such as, as it is now. An ancient asshole is still an asshole. And Jesus came to help us see a better way forward. This is never a story about a man and a whale. So here's my prescription. Be vulnerable. Practice kindness and extravagant love because that's what Jesus commanded. Don't worry about being right. And if you take Jesus out of Christianity, all you're left with is eanity. The story of Jonah is about grace, forgiveness, and love. Let's not forget this. And if we continue to follow down this road of intolerance, where we take Christ out of Christianity and are only left with the anity, all we'll really find is things like, you know, insanity, conformity, and stupidity, which only fills me with loads of profanity because that path will never lead towards serenity or anything in the flavor of eternity. It also kills any hope of some very Jesus-y things such as intellectual complexity, human charity, cultural diversity, personal humility, and divine curiosity. All of this eliminates any home for vulnerability, which is at the heart of faith and all the saints that have come before us. If things like spirituality, morality, divinity, sanctity matter, then this should matter to most of you. Because without it, what are we left with? Nothing I want to follow. Nothing I want to be part of. So I leave you with this. Be bold. Stay true. Follow your heart. Do the next right thing that is in front of you. And that's all Christ asks for. Those are the only ways to a better tomorrow. And I tell you that with the utmost certainty. Remember that Jonah was the asshole here, and that God loves all people, but hates religious piety that separates us. And that's the legacy of organized religion. It kills the message of the gospel. And this isn't a preachy spiritual message here. God is being intensely practical. If we want others to be more loving and kind, we must emulate that act first. So don't be like Jonah. And find a better way forward. So I love you all. Keep up the good fight. Keep going. And I'll be there with you on the road because we've got lots to do. So let's get to it. Are you with me? Well, that's all I've got this week. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. And if you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week, and I appreciate you all. And as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace 
and snark. That's all I got this week. I'm out of here. Peace. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.